Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com, the mobile app. You can also tune in on multiple podcast platforms. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. Hope everybody had a restful and enjoyable weekend. Many ways you'd interact with us here on the program. You can dial us up at our new number, 973-667-1960, 973-667-1960. You can also head to Twitter using hashtag GiantsChat, and you can interact with the two of us, at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. We're going to get into some league news and how that impacts the rest of the NFL, specifically the NFC East, as it pertains to quarterback depth, because the Patriots, Paul, certainly stole the headlines on a Sunday evening, and we're expecting, we're now entering really what I consider to be the extremely quiet time in the NFL. This is the equivalency of when players go their respective ways for a good four, six weeks. They return for training camp, and coaches tell them, hey, Stay well-disciplined, work out, don't do anything, and hopefully don't steal any headlines in terms of off-the-field activity. But New England going out, adding Cam Newton to the mix, and that was, I think, a pleasant surprise. I thought some of these big-name free agents would wait to sign with a team until training camp started, but New England clearly not wasting any time in that regard. It's obvious that Belichick has had his eyes on Cam Newton for a while. This just doesn't happen over the course of a nighttime or so. He must have had an idea that he wanted Newton in there. And obviously, we've all seen the videos over the course of the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I get it. It's only video and it's not actually getting on the field. But they must have seen, that is the Patriots, something that they liked there that said, you know what, he looks like he's healthy. He looks like he's in really good shape. He's cut out. He's fit. All right, let's see what we can do about making a deal. But uh, in truth... I don't think it's a good deal for them. I will tell you this right off the top before you even ask me, because I think Cam Newton is a guy who's got a significant uh, me, the disease of me, which I don't think fits well with a lot of teams, especially the New England Patriots. I'm not sure why Belichick thinks that Newton can overcome the disease of me. I also don't know why he would do this to Jared Stinham, who I believe has a legitimate opportunity to become a really good NFL quarterback. I'm very, very high on him, and I think this could possibly undermine him and undercut him. Uh, I just don't see the fit. But having said that, it is done, and the Patriots will move on. Well, a few things to piggyback off of what you're saying. I look at this as a low-risk, high-reward move. It's not as if they're bottling up a lot of money. He can reportedly earn up to $7.5 million. That's assuming playing time, all the incentives play out. That's not his base salary. As far as what it means for Jared Stidham, as you pointed out, Stidham could still very well be the long-term answer. I don't think this is necessarily a shot at Stidham, but this is, to me, also in response to the nature of the offseason. Keep in mind, Paul, Cam's rookie year was 2011. That was the lockout year. A lot of people forget. And Cam had a very impressive rookie campaign, and he had to learn a new offense. Rob Chudzinski was the offensive coordinator for the Panthers at the time. He was making the jump from Auburn Cam, and he did not miss a beat. So I think part of the logic is, yeah, we want to continue to develop Stidham, but even though Stidham does have some knowledge of the offense being with Josh McDaniels last season. Cam's got a lot more reps under his belt. Cam has dealt with a short training camp in 2011. He's in very good shape. So this, to me, is a very nice insurance policy slash very strong starting opportunity for the Patriots to not miss a beat losing Tom Brady. So that's why I think it's a low-risk, high-reward move. Well, you're talking about talent on the field, 
and the value of his ability and his experience. I'm talking about the negativism that he brings with all of the intangibles. Cam Newton brings a lot of negative intangibles to a locker room. I could see him griping. I could see him being one of those unnamed sources who uh, makes waves. I could see him dividing a locker room. These are all things that could really hurt Jared Stinham and ultimately hurt that team. For those reasons, I would have kept him far away from that facility if I were Belichick. Well, keep in mind, they're both Auburn guys. Now, I don't know the extent of the relationship between Stidham and Cam, but the fact that they were both coached by Gus Malzahn leads me to believe they may have already had some previous interaction given the fact that they come from the same school. You know how alum works, Paul. So they may already be on very good terms. I'm sure Jared Stidham's not overly excited to hear this news, but... I wouldn't go so far to say that they already had some interaction, maybe through school gatherings and so forth, or through Gus Malzahn. And from what I've read, Albert Breer actually was reporting this, going back to your concerns about maybe what he's going to do for the locker room and so forth, Paul, that Norv Turner, who was the Panthers Mm -hmm. offensive coordinator for the last few seasons, Mm -hmm. until obviously they brought a new coaching staff, he spoke to Belichick throughout the offseason and gave his thumbs up and recommended the Patriots take a very serious look at him. And Norv's been around the NFL for quite some time. I mean, Norv goes back to grooming Troy Aikman with the Dallas Cowboys and Emmitt Smith. So I'm not saying that Norv is not perhaps looking out for the well-being of a player that he has a relationship with, but I also don't think, given the respect that Norv Turner has across the league, is just going to throw out a thumbs up to just any player, especially when you're talking about Bill Belichick. I've known coaches, including veteran coaches, who have been fooled before. I know what Newton's resume says. I know what the disease of me is. I know what the Superman stuff is. There is approximately 10 years of Cam Newton's resume on the board for everybody to see, including all of his warts and all of his intangibles. Uh, I'm not moving on this, Lance. If I were the Patriots, I would not have brought him in. And quite frankly, I could give two hoots if he and Jared Stinham went to the same school or not. Are you honestly going to sit there and tell me with a good conscience that if Stinham loses the first two games, that Cam Newton is not going to be itching to get into the starting lineup in week three and the Boston media is not going to do the same thing? I mean, seriously, that is poison just waiting to happen. Well, I think you're overlooking. And that's not good for Stidham. Well, I think, though, you're overlooking somewhat of what Cam actually brings to the field, too. Remember, the Patriots are trying to win football games, Paul, at the end of the day. And New England does have a track record of bringing in players with baggage. They do. And making it work, too. They do. So they also some credit They also are smart enough to cut bait quickly when it doesn't work out. And for their sake, I hope they realize what it is that they've done. And maybe sooner rather than later, he won't be around. Well, I think that, once again, this is a good move because it's low risk. You know, you mentioned they could cut bait quickly. Well, the fact that they don't have a lot of money tied up with Cam gives them still that flexibility. That's another reason why I think it's a very good move. And also, when you look at the dynamics of the AFC East right now, Buffalo is certainly the strongest team because they're returning the most talent and was a playoff team last year. But now, all of a sudden, this changes to me the outlook of the Patriots. You went from losing one MVP to gaining another. That's never happened, by the way, in NFL history in any single offseason where a team has lost a quarterback who was an MVP and gained another one. So this, to me, shows New England's not going away anytime soon. And in an offseason, Paul, where seven teams now in each conference are going to make the playoffs, I would certainly not be counting New England out either. You're considering Cam Newton an MVP. I'm considering something he won five years ago. I'm considering him five years ago. I understand. I know 2015. I'm considering him, if healthy, 
Still a very productive quarterback, and I would take him over half the league right now as my starting quarterback. I'm not... I'm not going to debate you in terms of his physical skills because I can't win that debate. His physical skills clearly, clearly make him a quality NFL quarterback. I will never disagree with his physical skills or his talent. It's the rest of his makeup that does not fit on my roster if I'm making a team. And if I'm the AFC East, I'm thrilled that he landed there because I think he could do more harm than good. And it, and it could really pose some rocky problems for the Patriots. I think the Patriots would have been much better off just sticking with Brian Hoyer behind Stidham and allowing this kid to do what he does. He would have been just fine. Other Patriots news that probably is going to be overlooked given the Cam news last night in conjunction with that Cam news, Mike Reese who covers the Patriots for ESPN, broke the story that the Patriots have been hit with a punishment for members of the team filming the Bengals' sideline earlier this season as they were preparing to meet the Bengals later in the year, which certainly is allowed, but there's restrictions on that. So the punishment is going to be the following. $1.1 million fine, loss of a third-round pick in the 2021 draft. The Patriots' television production crews will not be allowed to shoot any games during the 2020 season, and senior club officials will have required training on league operation and game policies. Now, I don't think this is necessarily a surprise. I mean, the NFL has handed out punishment before for violations. They finalized their investigation. But in the big picture of things, I don't think personally, Paul, this is going to overly inhibit the Patriots from being competitive. They've lost draft picks before. And let's face it, New England has a knack for collecting additional picks through future trades well and i understand that opinion usually a third round pick is a very important pick for teams you are right in that the patriots do like to collect them and they find a way to do so but to be honest with you belichick has always done much better getting street free agents or discards from other teams than he's actually done homegrown guys through the draft i mean for example i just looked up the last decade and really, the best third-round picks that he's come up with, you'd have to say Logan Ryan was the best of the bunch. Jacoby Brissett, potentially, uh, yeah, I guess he was okay. Chase Winovich, good pick. Uh, Steven Ridley, some years back, okay. Back. You know, he did some decent things for them. But the truth of the matter is, of their 18 third-round selections over the course of the last decade, really, outside of Logan Ryan, has there really been a guy who made a very strong impact? I, I guess I guess maybe uh, uh, Harmon, you know, has done a solid job for them in the secondary. The kid out of Rutgers from, from 2013, he was in the same draft as Logan Ryan. But the third round has not been very productive for Belichick. So if you want to take a look at it from that angle, the penalty of the third round pick isn't necessarily going to be a tremendous punishment because he hasn't made use of his third rounders very well. Which means that they're not necessarily losing much. And that's where really I was going with that. And I agree with you. New England does find ways to bring in undrafted players, acquire veterans from other teams. So in the big picture of things, I know people love to evaluate punishments and compare it to previous offenses and so forth. I don't think 
Number one, this was an egregious offense. That's the first thing. And number two, I don't think in the big picture of things that this is going to come back to bite New England because of what you and I just discussed in terms of the track record in the draft yeah. and also New England's philosophy overall when it comes to the draft. I, and, I, and I don't want to ignore the O-line because you know how much I love the hog mollies up front. Joe Thune was a third-round pick yeah, in they uh, just 2016. Gave yeah. Exactly. So I should I should not I should not exclude him. He might wind up being up there with Logan Ryan as the most valuable third round picks they took in this decade. I didn't I didn't mean to exclude him. I apologize, Joe, and to your parents as well. No worry. I don't think Joe's family is going to be too irritated <laughs> over that, Paul. So I don't think you have concerns. The bottom line is, and I've got the draft history in front of me too. Mixed results, I think, is a fair way to say At they best. have some bright spots, but also they have a number of years where the player did not pan out. And considering the fact that every GM will tell you that their first three picks, or at least through the first three rounds, because sometimes they'll have extra picks up high, are all supposed to be guys who will be significant contributors, if not starters. They better darn well be a very important part of a rotation. So well, you would have to say that that's a subpar third round over the last decade. You'd absolutely. have to. Well, listen, we've had this conversation as it pertains to the Giants, Paul. No disagreement sure. there, right? If the Giants want to retool the depth chart, it has to start in the draft. And that means the first three picks every year, you want to see some level of productivity. There's no doubt about it. So New England's not an exception, meaning they still need to follow that rule. It's just New England's got a better track record of making up for missing in the draft. That's what maybe differentiates them from the rest of the league. Mm-hmm. 973-667-1960 is the telephone number. You could also interact with us on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat, at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants, W-F-A-N. A little bit later on, we'll get into the cam conversation and what that means for the rest of the league because I think it does say something about the depth of the quarterback position in the NFL, specifically in the NFC East. But in the meantime, let's open up the phone lines. Mike is in Schenectady. He joins us here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Mike? Hi, hi, you guys. How you doing? Hi, um, you know, John. John, remember you came up to when the Giants came to uh, University of uh, Albany. Um, I'm only uh, 20 minutes from um, there in a little town called uh, Schenectady, and I've been a Giants fan for a, a long time. Met a Monty Tumor, met the old offensive line, got pitchers and everything. Love you guys. Um, so um, I'm just wondering what you guys think on your take on the. Uh, the defense and how they might click um, this year and everything. And I'll take it off the air. I love you guys. And uh, just wondering to see how the, you know, the defense is going to click this year. All right, Mike. Thank well, you. We appreciate the phone call. And thanks so much for tuning into the program. In terms of the defense, uh, Paul, I think we've had multiple conversations on this show. This is really the million-dollar question, and this, to me, is going to be the unit that's going to define the season for the Giants. You've got a new scheme. You've got a new defensive coordinator, but you also have a lot of youth in the secondary, with the exception of James Bradbury. And as far as the pass rush is concerned, not necessarily a proven commodity. You only have one guy. I've said this like a broken record. I'm sure all of our listeners are tired of hearing it, but there's one player on the roster that has recorded a double-digit sack season. That's Kyler Fackrell when he had 10 and a half in 2018 outside of him nobody else has proven that they can consistently rack up sacks so you know there's a lot of question marks still hovering over this unit overall you know what Lance the only two things we really know about this defense right now are a uh, that Patrick Graham the first year defensive coordinator is incredibly um, detailed 
we, we know from when he was with the Giants before, as well as his reputation with Miami and with New England, that this is a guy who will dot all of his I's and cross all of his T's. He is meticulous in terms of his preparation and making sure that everything is just so. So his players will be prepared every week. I think we can say that. We know enough about him based on his resume and our personal experiences with him when he was the Giants defensive line coach that he will have his guys ready to play. I feel very comfortable saying that even before they step on the field. I think the other thing that I feel very comfortable saying is that he is a very um, infectious type of guy. And when I say that, I'm not trying to be funny with a pun or anything like that, but this is a guy who really loves the game. He enjoys the game a lot. He's not just doing a job. He actually gets a big thrill out of being on the field, being out there with the guys, and being on the sideline on game day. He, 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 he's not afraid to show that enthusiasm and that passion and that fun that he has and that joy that he has, and he passes it along to his players. And it was always my opinion from talking to the D-line when he was here in his first uh, tenure with the Giants that his players – absolutely fed off of that energy and that emotion and that pleasure that he derived from being around the guys and around the game. Those are the two things that I can speak with some sense of certainty. Everything else, I don't know. I don't know how the young guys are going to develop. I don't know exactly what he anticipates using in terms of a scheme. We can take guesses but we don't know. I don't know if Leonard Williams is going to have a kick-butt year now that he's under the tag. I think he will, but I don't know. I don't know how some of the, the clouded status of some of the players on the defense are going to clear up. It, it's all a big question, but those two things that I said about Coach Graham, I feel pretty good about sinking my teeth into and those are two very big positives as the Giants go into this season. Well, Blake Martinez, when he signed with the Giants, he was the one that really pointed out Patrick Graham's attention to detail that you were just talking about because he mentioned when they were together in 2018, he always felt well-prepared going into a game. Hey, did they always execute? Well, that's in the hands of the players, Paul. But at the end of the day, he felt Graham picked up on things that maybe most wouldn't, and they always knew what the offense was going to throw their way. So he certainly has emphasized that. The other takeaway, to piggyback off of what you were saying, when you look at the makeup of Miami's team last year, and that was one of the teams that we previewed because the Giants wound up playing them. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying identical, Paul, but I see a lot of similarities. And what I mean by that is Miami had no proven pass rusher heading into last season. I mean, they really let go of all of their top guys. I mean, the last time Miami had an intimidating presence, you really got to go back to Cameron Wake, I would argue. And he hasn't been with the team for the last few seasons. And they had a young secondary. But... Those guys still played very hard. Even if you go back to the Dolphins-Giants game, Miami gave the Giants a very tough fight. And that was a week in which the Dolphins lost a number of guys in the secondary where they were plucking guys off the practice squad and off the street. And Patrick Graham had to find a way to get them involved. So I would agree with both of your takeaways. Those things, I think, are going to show up with the Giants. But it's still going to fall on, will guys be able to execute consistently? And will one or two of these players, Paul, have breakout seasons? A few names that we did not bring up. Lorenzo Carter is one player that comes into mind. Okay, hey, this is year three. 
What is he going to do this season? O'Shane Zimenez, year two. He's another guy that certainly has potential there. And as far as the young corners are concerned, will a guy like Sam Beal start to blossom? What's going to happen with the rest of the secondary? Corey Ballantyne is another guy that missed a lot of the offseason because, unfortunately, of an off-the-field incident. I think, regardless of what we sit here and say about what Patrick Graham is going to bring out of these players, I still think a lot falls on the individuals, what they've been doing through these virtual meetings when they've been away from the facility, and what they're going to bring into play week in and week out. I mean, look, here's the bottom line. Joe Judge knows Patrick Graham in and out. He worked with him, you know, for for a few years up in New England. He knows what it is that he wants. He's made it very clear to all of us in every conversation that he's had with the media how detailed and how meticulous he's going to be, how regimented he's going to be, how he wants guys who are teachers, how he wants guys, you know, who are going to bring a very strong football mentality and a team-first mentality to, to the locker room and to the field. I mean, based on what we do know about Coach Graham and what we know that Coach Judge wants from his staff, those things just seem to jive. I I feel like it's going to be a really, really, really good coaching staff. And everybody I've talked to around football, and that includes the college ranks, has said to me, my God, the Giants put together an outstanding staff. Joe Judge, man, hit a home run in his first season. So... Let's just go with that for now and see what the results are. Well, to your point, the staff has a great deal of experience, and I think that's extremely encouraging, especially for a coach that has never been the head man for an NFL team, has never been the head man, period, and also having to navigate uncharted territory based on the structure of this offseason. So it is a huge asset that he has all of these previous former head coaches, especially guys that have done it in the NFL, such as Jason Garrett, to lean on as they all, as a group, try to get this team ready to go throughout the course of the season. Now, earlier we were talking about the quarterback signing, Cam going to the Patriots. I want to bring that into play within the NFC East because this was a question we received, Paul, through our submission page and continue to send them in at giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions, or you could send them in directly to us. And I think this is relevant. One player that you know without a doubt is going to be critical for team success this season is the quarterback. But I think you could take it a step further and say the second quarterback, the third quarterback, in case the coronavirus throws an unexpected wrinkle or there's an injury that comes about. So this question is, do you think the Giants are going to keep five quarterbacks on the roster in case multiple quarterbacks get COVID or fall due to injury? They have five right now on the roster. And I would argue the Giants are in a good position, unlike most, Paul, where if they wanted to quarantine a quarterback, they could do that, especially since Cooper Rush already knows this offense and Colt McCoy is probably in line to be the backup. Alex Tanney's an experienced quarterback, and they also have a developmental quarterback in Case Cookus, the undrafted rookie out of Northern Arizona. So I could envision, Paul, where the Giants could keep three on the active roster, and then if the practice squad goes to 16, you know Cookus, he's eligible to go to the practice squad, so you could keep one there. Cooper Rush is eligible to go to the practice squad. Tanny is not, as well as Colt McCoy, but you can actually find a way to keep all five guys. Well, if my numbers are correct, I believe the Giants are one of four teams in the NFL that currently have five quarterbacks under contract. So... 
you know, it's not something that necessarily is being uh, looked upon around the league as, oh, we're going to collect a ton of quarterbacks. But, but there are, again, four teams that do have five. Now, what do they do with them? I think the biggest question here, Lance, is going to be what are going to be the NFL regulations? What are the rules going to be regarding the practice squad? What are the rules going to be regarding the virus list? What are the rules going to be regarding guys who you may be able to keep in quarantine away from the regular players who are going to practice? I mean, see, here's the thing. and We had this conversation uh, last week on a program. I think it was me and Fiegel's. And what we were saying is, you know, do the coaches, if they're allowed to have as many as 16 practice squad players, do they take a bunch of those guys and keep them away from everybody else? Because here's the problem. If all of your practice squad guys are practicing on a daily basis with the rest of your team, and let's say a running back comes down with a positive test for the virus, well, then all of the running backs are in danger of having contacted him and could all have the chances of being infected. Therefore, what good is it to have kept an extra practice squad running back if he's around that guy and he's got the chance of being infected? He's got to be kept away from somebody if he is going to be eligible, or should I say in a smart way, brought in to a room that has already been told you've got a positive guy sitting there. So here's the problem. If if you're going to take one of these quarterbacks and say, listen, we want you to run the playbook by yourself. You're going to be on the practice squad, but you're going to be away from the facility. You're going to be at a quarantine practice field, so to speak. This is why we need to find out what the NFL rules are going to be before we even consider how many quarterbacks do you keep, who are they going to be, and how do you treat them. I think it would be very smart because, you know, if a uh, – I think it was um, the uh, Buccaneers coach, Bruce Arians. Yeah, Bruce Arians. Who first brought this to the forefront and said, I'm going to keep a separate quarantine quarterback who's going to be prepared but outside of my regular practices so that I know, I know he is healthy. And if I need him, I can immediately call him in without having to worry about him being tainted. So that's that's the question. If you're going to have a quarantine quarterback, how do you deal with him? I'm I'm thinking you have to keep him separate from the team, don't you? Yeah, but I don't think you have to quarantine the rest of the practice squad. For example, if it goes to 16 players, you could still have an operational practice squad with 15. Because remember, Paul, the practice squad is needed to help run the scout team. Mm -hmm. Those guys don't just sit around. They actually help prepare the regular roster. And you're not going to have guys that actually are going to get reps in a game all of a sudden be a part of the scout team. So it's, to me, very hard to say we're going to take nine or ten guys on the practice squad, and we're going to quarantine all of them. I think it's just important to quarantine a quarterback because of how important that is to the rest of the team. going to have somebody to throw to. Well, but you have enough. Hold on. If you keep so, so, four so other send, quarterbacks. Send, send your, your, your extra quarterback, your quarantine quarterback, your emergency quarantine quarterback with three receivers, if you will. Send them off somewhere else then and keep them in a bubble if you wish. That's fine. I can see that being doable, too. It really depends, though, how many wide receivers you keep, too. You know, sometimes you sure. just don't have that luxury. No, I'm, I know. With three wide receiver sets and so forth, you need five or six bodies just to get through practice. I'm going to give you another hypothetical, Lance, okay? 
how do you know how many players are going to actually come to training camp? They're talking about the possibility of not having four preseason games and maybe only having two. Well, if you're only going to have two or maybe even none, the truth of the matter is you're not going to have time to be able to sort through a 90-man roster to actually try to give these guys all a legitimate chance to make your team and then whittle things down from 90 if you don't have those four preseason games to give all those snaps out to those players. It's, it's not realistic. And on top of that, if you bring 90 guys to camp, that enhances your chances just by the very numbers that there are going to be some guys getting sick and they're going to spread it through your locker room. So there may be two very strong reasons not to bring 90 guys to a training camp. I would agree with you. I don't think you need 90 to get through two preseason games. The only thing that I would argue is most coaches will tell you they want to see all 90 because they then want to determine who's worthy to keep on the practice squad. And you know when you add up the 53 guys on the roster, plus if they are going to allow 16 to stay on the practice squad this year, now you're getting up into the territory of 70 guys working with. So out of the 90, that's how you get down to 70. Now, if they work it where you got to stagger players coming in and out of the facility, that I think is doable. But even if they don't play all the preseason games, I would still argue there's value to having 90 bodies to work with so that you get the best 70 come the start of the season, Paul. At the risk of more virus, you're, you, you, you'd like to have 90, understanding that the more guys you have in camp, the more chance that somebody's going to be sick. You're okay well, I am that. willing to take that risk, and here's why I'm willing to take that risk. I'm not too concerned about each facility providing that equilibrium bubble. I think where things can get a little bit of a gray area is when you go on the road and you're entering territory that you don't have full control over and you don't know what other teams are doing. So I think if the team itself is taking the temperature of guys, they've got all the protocols in place, I think most teams are going to feel comfortable. We can control what's going on within our own house. It's when you leave your own house, Paul, that's when I think it gets into that gray area. So if I'm working with the 90 guys all at my facility, yes, I would be willing to take that risk. I'll give you another question. All this is hypothetical, by the way, folks. Let's make very clear. We have absolutely no idea what kind of rules the NFL is going to put in place for any of this stuff. But I do think these hypotheticals raise serious questions that have to be answered. And I'm not saying that Lance is wrong because there may be a bunch of teams that feel exactly how he does and will uh, do things that way. And that's fine. I'm simply saying I think GMs and coaches may have to answer these questions as they try to proceed. Now, for example, you're saying 90 guys at your own place, oh, that's okay. Well, now you have a road preseason game. I could see a situation where, like with colleges, and they say there's a travel team, maybe you wind up leaving 15 or 20 of your guys home. Maybe and that's fine. You know, maybe you just say, look, I don't want to take 90 guys on the road. That sounds like too big of a risk for me. I'm not thinking that that's a good thing. I'm only going to take 60 guys on the road or whatever. And you're going to leave a bunch of guys behind and take a travel team if you're going to play an exhibition game somewhere else outside of your bubble. Well, here's the other thing that I was just thinking. If they are going to go down to two preseason games, I think they also should take a look at who the matchups are. For example, Paul, the Giants have the luxury of playing the Jets in one of their preseason games. So you don't have to go anywhere because they're both going to come to the same stadium. But here's the thing. What's the crime of just having the Giants and the Jets play two preseason games? What does it matter? You're really evaluating the back end of your depth chart anyway. 
you just want a game scenario where you're not going up against each other. So why not just play the same team twice? For example, the Browns could play the Bengals two times, and I know they're in the same division, but under the circumstances of the country, I think these sacrifices can easily be made. The Chargers could play the Rams two times in the preseason, and we could leave it at that. I know every team, we can't make the geography work, but the teams that can, Paul, I would sign up for that. That's a really interesting thought, Lance. It really is. I mean, uh, so what do you do with uh, the Patriots? They get the uh, what, they get the Bills? Let them the play division? the Bills. Who cares if they're in, in the, the same division? What's the big deal? I, I got a hunch that you'll get a lot of GMs and head coaches who are going to significantly balk at that. And the truth is, too, by the time you try to match them up with regions, you're probably going to have some, some uh, teams left over that are then going to be forced to go through some nasty road trips. 100%. Listen, there's always going to be an exception, Paul. Yeah, and those teams are going to be really unhappy. They are, but here's the thing. If you can get it to where 26 of the 32 teams are in a good position to lower their risk as a whole league, Paul, wouldn't you do that? You know, I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. I, I think it deserves some conversation, and it should be contemplated. I don't know what the right answer is right now because I hadn't thought of it until you said it. So heads up and a big thumbs up to you for coming up with that answer. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's worth talking about. I don't know what ultimately the decision would be. I think I would actually have to go through the the uh, the, the, the teams and try to match them up. And, and once I had that down on paper and looked at it, I probably would have a, more of an opinion than I do right now. Just some food for thought as we move along here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with you. Thanks so much for tuning in. 973-667-1960. That is the telephone number. Let's head back to the lines. Len is in Columbia, Maryland. What's happening, Len? Hey, guys. Hi. Um, I'm going to stay on topic for a change <laughs> and talk about how do we get to the regular season. Um, I mean that was, that was really a good discussion, and I, you know, I guess the league is open to just about anything at this point. But you have to be. It's, right. it's getting near crunch time, and so so let me ask the question of you guys: what do you what do you think the minimums are? And what I mean by that is, we keep talking about two preseason games, um, Lance, with the idea of you know the Giants and the Jets two weeks in a row. Can we go into a regular season playing no preseason games? Hypothetically, yes. Yeah, of course. I mean, if the if the if it gets to the point where that's how we reduce the risk the most. Uh, suppose you brought the guys in, and it's going to be a limited number of guys when I get to the end of this here. But suppose you brought the guys in two weeks, two and a half weeks before that September 10th opening, um, would, would that work? You know, there's a lot of things to factor in here, and one of the things that you got to deal with, Len, it's not just what you think would work as a league or as a coaching staff. It's also the players' union. And oh, yeah. They're, go yeah. they're right. going to say, well, look, this is what we think we need our guys to have. So there's always going to be another flip side to the coin. Even if you think you've got something that makes sense, you don't know what they are thinking on the other side of the door, which yeah. then makes it very sticky, which is why baseball had so many difficulties trying to get their season yeah. underway. Yeah. Here, here's what I will say to you, though, Len, and I do think this is very important to understand. 
and that is that the league the league values the regular season as much as anything they possibly could value. Absolutely. And and the alternative plans and the kinds of things that they have cooked up, the scenarios, the hypotheticals, they've tried to cover everything humanly possible in their in their book of options yeah. to make this season happen. Yeah. And 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 I believe that realistically they think one of those options will play out. I really believe they feel that. But it's now to the point where how do you get there? The training camp and the preseason issues are now a, a different bowl of ice cream, if you will. Yeah. They're, they're kind of a stickiness unto themselves. Yeah. And that's what makes this, this so difficult because I don't think, to be honest with you, I don't think we're going to have any decisions made on these two issues until probably the middle of July because they're not expecting teams to come in until that, uh, what, the 28th of July. Right, right, so, right. So they've got a little time here to figure things out and to talk to the medical people, to find out if the testing is available, to find out how much it's going to cost, to find out the logistics of how to get it. But there is one thing I do want to add here, Len, and that is the logistics of a game. Yeah. They can plan everything out, right? They yeah. can draw a blueprint and say, this is how game day is going to work. Until they actually put it in play and implement it, they won't really know how well it works, will they? I, and that's I, I more of a reason why I, a preseason game is yes. beneficial because you have a run-through exactly. before the start of the regular season. Yeah. The yeah. preseason yeah. game becomes yeah. the guinea pig, if you will. Yeah. Let me, let me say something about the Players Association and the owners and the relationship between the two. And I, I think in a situation like this, they're, they're lucky to have each other. <laughs> Where one is monitoring the other and, you know, getting the feedback from the Players Association is going to be in the long run, in the history of the league over the next 10 years, is going to, is going to be critical as to how the players get treated. And, and, you know, the same is true with the, you know, with the owners. The Players Association is lucky that they've got the league. So I think they can work together. Uh, to yeah, you know, to make things happen, but I, I really think they're they're lucky in this particular situation to have each other. All right, let, get, let's let's talk about the regular season for a second. Um, what's the minimum number of games you think we can play, and have it have it be a legitimate season, or you know, a few a few games in November it turns out to be almost like it's an exhibition game. Well, um, how, how many games to get to the Super Bowl at the when? end of January? You were around in 1982, weren't you? Yeah. Okay. And I'm, I'm saying that with all due respect because I know you're older than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. And you and remember so, that the, the Giants and, finished 4-5 and five and lost the tiebreaker during that strike-shortened season right. and did not make the playoffs. Okay. So the league was okay with nine games being played, having a playoff, and having a Super Bowl, and they moved on. Yeah. And I don't think anybody looks at that season as a joke. Uh, it, it just went down as another NFL year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Once you, the further you get away from it, like you say, Paul, it was another NFL year. I was coming down on the number 12 and beginning to show my age because, as you know, up until 1960, that's, <laughs> yes. that's what they played. Yes. Well, I think you need double-digit games. 
to avoid it from becoming a joke. Yeah. Uh, to me, and this is not to necessarily change the subject, and, and Len, appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. Major League Baseball, Paul, I don't know your opinion, but a 60-game season to me is a joke. That's 37% of a typical season. That's well less than half in terms of 50%. So if you use eight as the midway point, I'd want to see at least a minimum of 10 games to justify crowning a champion. I understand. Um, Again, in 82, they used nine, and I don't think anybody looks at that playoff season or the Super Bowl as a joke from that year. Uh, I think everybody understands what happened. They know it was a shortened season, but it is still recognized for what it was, and that is just another NFL year. If people had continued to mock that season or put an asterisk on it, and I really don't think people do, then I would agree with you. Uh, I don't know what the number is, honestly. I don't know if the NFL has has in their mind what the number is. I think they're kind of playing it by ear. I would tend to think I, I would like to see at least 12, to be perfectly frank with you, uh, whether or not that's possible. I don't know. But, but here's the thing. I will tell you as a diehard Knicks fan, I love the 99 season. They got to the finals. Well, that's why you love they, the 99 you know, season. They, they <laughs> got whacked. Hold on. Well, they you got like the 99 season because they found a way to get to the NBA finals. That's if right. If the Knicks didn't go to the finals, I guarantee you'd be singing a different tune. Well, it, one of the greatest highlights in Knicks postseason history was Allen Houston knocking off the Miami Heat. I mean, and, and, and Pat the Rat Riley. It was awesome. And, and I'll be perfectly frank with you. I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed the 99 So you enjoy run. getting a participation trophy. That's what you enjoy? I, That's I, what I you're could, telling everybody? I loved, I loved the Knickerbockers getting to the finals at the Garden. And even though they got whacked by a far superior team in San Antonio, the fact that they got to the finals does not diminish anything for me as a Knick fan. Finals in 94 and finals in 99. I was very happy with well, that. Well, 94 was a legitimate campaign, though. So there's no point of even bringing I, that into I guess the what I'm saying is if you're a fan of a team that moves far into the postseason, you don't care how many games will play during the regular season because you have postseason memories that make you feel good. And that's fine, and I buy that, but that's also a biased perspective. I'm trying to look at this from an unbiased perspective, meaning if I was a fan of the league, period, neither of my teams were in the Super Bowl, I would have some questions in terms of the substance behind that. Just like I'm going to have questions about the baseball season, no matter who wins. I don't think it's the same legitimacy in terms of the champion as a normal season. I'll say the same thing about the NBA. When have we ever had three to four months off, Paul, where injured players can return and also how that impacts momentum? All right, let let, let me just ask this in terms of football, okay? Think of the Super Bowl that year, and I'm I'm sure you remember, Washington uh, beat the Miami Dolphins, okay? That was one of Joe Gibbs' championship seasons. Nobody, nobody questioned, okay, Miami knocking off, the Jets at the Orange Bowl. What they, what they, you know, what they obviously didn't like was was how the Dolphins did it. But it was a messy game. But nonetheless, the Dolphins deserved to win that game. They were a quality team and deserved to represent the AFC. And I also believe that the Washington Redskins were by far the best team in the NFL that year. And they pummeled Dallas in the in the playoffs to get to the Super Bowl and deserved to do so. So we had two representatives of each conference that belonged there, and the right team won. The better team got the championship trophy. So in no way, shape, or form did the nine-game season disparage what happened in the playoffs or in the Super Bowl. 
Now, you could tell me all you like about the first round of the playoffs and how many of those teams deserve to be in or didn't deserve to be in, but they got weeded out anyway. By the time the postseason was done, the best teams were still left standing, and I don't, I don't put a, a scar on the Lombardi Trophy for the Redskins winning that one. Why, why would I? They, they were the best team. Yeah, the Redskins were 8-1 and one in that 1982 season, tied for the best record with the Raiders, and the Dolphins were 7-2, and two, tied for the second best record in the NFL. So the way it turned out, arguably two of the top three teams in the NFL that year ended up in the Super Bowl. Without a so, doubt. They were terrific teams, and they got what they deserved. I would say, though, if a season is shortened, and you're going to use the NFL as an example, the way to add more legitimacy to a shortened season, Paul, is... You have to make sure, though, you're prioritizing the divisional games. Because my feeling is if you're going to win your division and get to the playoffs and the structure is not going to change, then I want to make sure you're playing each of your divisional foes two times. So that's why that right there, that's six games. Now, if you say the goal is 12, okay, then you could play another division within the conference, and then maybe we can select two against AFC opponents. My point is I want a diverse group of games to still determine that it justifies you making the playoffs. Well, That I'd, adds legitimacy. I'd love it to be 12, but again, I'm arguing to you that in the 82 season, nine turned out to be enough because we did get the justifiable best teams in the Super Bowl. I mean, the Raiders, the Raiders will scream bloody murder because they did have the best record in the AFC that year, but the Dolphins were right there. And, and I, quite frankly, had no problem with them representing the AFC. I thought they were a, a worthy and valid uh, organization to be in that game. And, and I think the bottom line here for me is that, you know, unless some team, you know, sneaks in, and we won't know until it actually happens, but if some unworthy team, you know, sneaks into the playoffs in, in a shortened season and then does not prove itself, uh, you know, in the course of the postseason and they get lucky and they somehow squeeze through and then it's like, oh, that team won the championship that year. They were just they weren't very good at all. And they just kind of squeezed through. I mean, that may give you a bad taste. But what are the odds of that happening, Lance? Well, but in the it National is easier, Football League, in it's the National Football League, to the pull cream that usually off, rises Paul, to the top. In it the really NFL, does. though. But it's it's much easier to pull off what you're saying in well, the NFL compared year. to the NBA. And it some wasn't of the that year. I mean, no, that, that year, one. Well, I mean, but that's one year. But My that's point the, is, but that's the only year they had nine games. I, I mean, unless you that. want to go back to the early days of the league. No, but what I'm saying is, is that we've seen a lot of wild card teams get hot and then ride that momentum. So my point is, if you sneak into the playoffs, you then could get lucky, ride off into the sunset by winning three straight playoff games, and hey, you win the championship, and maybe you're, you know, a sub 500 team that just snuck in. Remember, seven teams are getting into the playoffs in each conference yeah. this year. Well, you know what's interesting though, Lance, and I, and I really do find this incredibly interesting. When, when wildcard teams, as we know now, more and more of them have, have made it to the playoffs and have gotten a few rounds in and even gone to Super Bowls, and obviously with the Giants, we know that firsthand. But if you're going to win three straight postseason games on the road and then win the Super Bowl at a neutral site, you deserve it. You, do. you certainly proved it. I'm not going to disagree with you. So, 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 so and I guess what I'm really saying in, 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 the, in the bottom line of this whole thing is if a team is able to do that, then then why why the asterisk? Why why would we even laugh at them and say that that wasn't a worthy team to win at all? 
because to be able to pull that off, three straight road wins and then a neutral side win, that that says that you were worthy, doesn't it? It says you were worthy, but once again, my argument would be it's some cutting of corners to actually get there. And the whole point of making the postseason in any sport the journey that you had to go through, the grind, Paul, that says something about your team. And that's what I appreciate and I put value in. And when you're cutting into that, the journey then loses substance. That's where at least I stand in terms of that. But there's many different ways to view it. And let's say it this way. Hopefully we don't get to the point where yeah. we have to have this debate and they get in 16 games. I'm with you a thousand percent because I don't know what the number would finally wind up being, you know, that they would need to have before they move forward with a postseason. But I do know that the commissioner and the league uh, wants to get in as many games as they possibly can. They certainly want 16. They'll plan for 16. They'll cross every toe and finger they have on their bodies to get 16. And if they don't, I'm pretty sure they will still try to forge forward and have some type of postseason and a Super Bowl. I just I don't see that being canceled. So if it turns out there are less games, then so be it, and we'll just have to chew on it. 973-667-1960. That is the telephone number. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here. Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Charlie is in Portland, Maine, and he joins us here on BBKL. What's happening, Charlie? Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. Hey, hey Lance, Charlie. I thought, you, I thought you'd like a short season. Wouldn't that Who, make me? sense? Yeah, a short season. I know oh, you're going to make going. a joke there. Oh, wow. Tremendous. Yeah, tremendous content, Charlie. Oh, wow. Boy, that really went over my head. I had no idea where you were going with that. Of course it oh, went wow. over your head. Yeah. <laughs> Hysterical. Over your head, right? Please, don't give up your day job. I mean, that was just tremendous. <laughs> I bet John's laughing. But anyway. Yeah, I'm sure he is. But he'll laugh at most things at my expense anyway, so it really doesn't take much substance to get him there, Charlie. I mean, you're trying to appeal to a crowd of one. Come on here. I mean, let's put you to the test a little bit. Let's okay, see how you're going to reason- wiggle out of this. <laughs> the reason I really called was, Paul, I can't believe you're so down on Cam Newton. Don't you think that Belichick and Cam also knows who the Patriots are and that who Belichick is and that he wouldn't go there if he thought, you know, and Belichick wouldn't bring him there? I think they're going to be great together because – I think Belichick wants to prove that he can win a Super Bowl championship without Brady. And he's got the quarterback now that can do that. I don't think he cares about his rookie quarterback at all. I think he wants to win, and I, and I think he'd love to play Brady in the Super Bowl. That would be incredible. But they've got the quarterback now who can bring them to a Super Bowl. Well, I'll tell you two things, Charlie. First of all, one of the ways you avoid any of the potential headaches and issues inside the locker room is basically you give Cam the job right out of the box. And you say, okay, I believe in your talent. We're going to ride with you. We think that you're the guy who is going to allow us not to miss a beat. And then he goes out there and he does it. Because, again, if there are any problems, Cam's the first one pointing fingers everywhere else except himself to blame other people for the failures of the team. So understand you're going to have to live with that. Now, does Belichick think he can deal with a guy like that? Probably. He's done it before. We remember Randy Moss for a few years. You know, he's had guys. He had Antonio Brown up there, and that didn't work out well, and he got rid of him. So let's just see. Now, I'm sure Belichick has thought about this long and hard, and he probably thinks that he will be able to handle it. But don't, don't forget, 
Belichick cuts bait quickly if he finds out that it's not working. So just because Cam Newton is on this roster today doesn't mean he's going to be there in the middle of October. Because if it does blow up in his face, Newton's going to be out of a job quick. But he has all the momentum in the world, Paul, because of the fact that they only gave him a one-year deal. And if he does well this season, he could be then having multiple opportunities next offseason. So, I mean, he has every reason to take full advantage if he does sure win he does. the starting job. Because he, there's a lot to gain. Up. If he grows up and he matures, but at the same time, what if Stidham does get the job out of the gate? Now, what good is that to Cam? Because now he can't show people on the field that he's as good as he thinks he is well, but and deserves say, a big shot contract. Who's to say Stidham's going to have a long leash? How do you know that the Patriots ah, say, hey, the, we but start him what, out, but if you struggle, but that's goodbye. already but that's but 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 okay, so now you have Cam Newton rooting for Stidham to do poorly so that he can use his selfish application in there and enhance his own problem. Well, I don't think enhance he's his own situation. It, Paul, hold on. If you ask any backup quarterback <laughs> in the NFL right now, if the backup quarterback tells me, if I have a heart-to-heart private conversation and they say deep down inside they do not want to start for their current team, then I don't want them on my roster. No, what does that you, say about the mindset of the backup quarterback? You then? just threw out there as the primary reason for Cam to be in a good situation being that, oh, if Stidham doesn't do well, Cam gets the start, prove himself, and then get a bigger contract. Well, a guy in that situation – is not a guy I want on my team, okay? This is why the Giants have a bunch of backups who are not going to be play. itching for a starting <laughs> job. That's a, I wouldn't say can't play, okay? Hold on, Charlie. But the reason they have Tanny, Rush, McCoy, those guys are in the locker room for a reason. They're there because they're mentors, they're smart, they can be a game manager if they have to step in, and all three of them understand that if you're given a clipboard, you run the clipboard and you shut your mouth and you support the starter because there's no inkling of you getting in the lineup. That's exactly what David Carr was for Eli Manning. And that's one of the reasons it worked. That's what Jason Garrett was for Kerry Collins. That's one of the reasons that it worked. I'm telling you, Lance, you are so naive if you don't understand that. No, well, the reason why I'm not naive is because I've talked to a number of Cam's teammates, hold on, over the last few months, (laughs) who have spent time and time in the QB room with him, and all of them have spoken extremely highly of him, including Derek Anderson, who's been with a number of teams and has been a starter with the Cleveland Browns, says Cam was one of the best teammates he's ever had, a lot of wide receivers. So all of this narrative... And you're entitled to feel the way you want to feel, Paul, but I don't understand where it's coming from that Cam has ruined the outlook for the Panthers by being a selfish guy when Carolina did a lot of winning with him as the starting quarterback. No, you have to understand. Of course, he thought he was going to stay in Carolina. So everything was harmonious there because he really thought he was going to be staying there. So of course everything was going to work out well. He could think team first while he was still with the Panthers and trying to resuscitate his career in the place where he started. Now that he's going somewhere else and he is in a prove-it situation, that's not a recipe for me. I'm simply saying well, but he I still wants not, to resi- resuscitate his career, though. I don't know why we even having though, this dispute on a Giants program. <laughs> I'm simply telling you, if I'm a general manager, I would not have Sam signed Cam Newton. It's that simple. 
Why, why, why is this an issue for anybody? I don't get it. Well, I just disagree with you. I'm not saying that you're entitled to not feel that's the way fine. you feel. You can and feel when you the way get you to feel. be GM of a team, you can sign Cam Newton. And by the way, you can <laughs> sign Dak Prescott for $50 million if you want to, too. Well, he has yet to sign on the dotted line, Dak. So you're throwing out numbers that may not even come to fruition on that Yeah, point. but that's the amount of money you'd like to give him. I, hey, I didn't throw I, out any number. I, I just said every quarterback question? gets paid, Paul, and it's going to happen to the Giants, too. They're going to eventually have to pay Daniel right. Jones. I'm Go just ahead, trying Charlie. to see your reaction in that department. What do you got, Charlie? Hey, what do you got? One more question. I saw an article that David Tyree spoke out and because he's left the Giants organization, and he feels, just like Amarni Toomer feels, that this wide receiver group is lacking a big play receiver, and he thinks that's going to be a detriment to Daniel Jones's growth because he doesn't have that guy like Plax or like we did have that guy and his name was Odell, but we don't now. What do you guys think of two wide receivers, good wide receivers, smart players saying the same thing that we don't have the wide receiver group that we really need? We need that one guy who can really be dominant. What do you guys think? <sighs> Answer me this question, Charlie. When you look at the Niners roster from last year, who was a dominant wide receiver in your estimation? That's why they lost the Super Bowl. Oh, no, no. See, now now you all of a sudden narrow <laughs> down. No, no, no. You can't do that, Charlie. Making the I Super Bowl, if it, if it was that easy, then when was the last time the Giants made the Super Bowl? If it was that easy. No, I, I'm, I'm talking about the Giants. I'm talking about Wait, how— Wait, so hold on. But see, no, ahead. that's not fair. See, the NFL— can always be used as a model of comparison. I completely disagree with you. You want to make it a Giants-centric conversation. I get it. There's a Giants program, but teams learn from others. How often do you hear the phrase copycat league? So I'm bringing you other examples but of teams and quarterbacks that did not have dominant a, wide receivers and had success, and I'm telling you that it can defense. be done, do we yet have you don't an want to see it. defense, They had an incredible They defense. did. You're right. The Niners they had a don't. balanced team. I'm with you there. Correct. All right, we don't. So you got to have an offense that can really put up some points, and we don't have that. But right Charlie, now. we don't have Charlie, that guy. Charlie, 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 that's their opinion. You can mind. never, anyway. you can never make a statement in the bubble in the NFL because everything is connected like a spider web. And one of the things about the Giants is that they've enhanced the offensive line. They believe that Barkley and the running game is going to be a much bigger part of what it is that they want to do. Therefore, the reliance on a super stud wide receiver is less important. Look, you've heard me say for how many years now since since Plexico was gone, the Giants yeah. could use a skyscraping big play wide receiver. I want one too. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this offense cannot be effective by, by using another route to Grandma's house. There are many ways to get to Grandma's house, and they're just going to yeah. have to take one of the other roads. Charlie, who was the well, dominant they, they, wide receiver on Tennessee last season? Uh, Tennessee had a running game. That's why. You got an answer for everything, Charles. It's amazing. I asked one question, Paul. Don't I ask a question on something? I asked a simple question. Did I not? I said, name me a dominant wide out on Tennessee. He goes, they had a running game. Yeah, but that's the yeah. point, Charlie. Charlie, you just answered the question. Lance just helped you. The Giants have some guy named Saquon Barkley. They've got a running well, game. Yeah, well, I hope our offensive line is like the Titans because we're going to need to be that. So anyway, guys, thank you. Okay. Yes, Charlie, thank you. Day. No, no, the pleasure is all ours because you added so much to the dialogue and conversation today. I only want to bang my head against the wall for the 14th time. Oh, my goodness. Jeez Louise. I mean, <laughs> Paul, I don't know. My hands are tied now. Every no. time 
We bring other examples in the NFL into the conversation. He has a talent and a knack for changing the topic. It's truly amazing. He's got a gift. I'll give him that. He has an incredible gift. But don't tell me that you need a dominant wide receiver in today's NFL to win football games, Paul. I disagree with that sentiment. I disagree with it, too. I've told you, there are many roads to Grandma's house, and you just have to find the right one depending upon what you have available to you and what you believe you can scheme with. So I'm with you a thousand percent on that. Well, again, I know what I'd like them to have in a perfect world, but I don't think it is necessary. The key of every coaching staff is, look, if this is what you want to get done, how do you make that happen with the talent you have on your roster? Be adaptable and figure out how to get to that point. And if it means you have to take a detour and have to go another way because you have different guys on your roster, then that's what you do. That's what makes great coaching staffs. Baltimore, by the way, real quickly, another team I want to throw out from last season, Marquise Hollywood Brown. I mean, that was pretty much their number one guy, and he's still extremely young in terms of his development. So they didn't have a dominant wideout either, but they had a good rushing attack and a very dangerous quarterback. So there's no one rule of thumb that you have to subscribe to in the NFL. No. And there were multiple teams who made the playoffs last year that clearly did not have a top guy. Like I said, it's all about getting to Grandma's house, and there are many roads to get there. Such as going over the river and through the woods to Grandma's house. That's the one that I prefer, but you can take another route. Just make sure sure you avoid the hungry wolf. Yes, I will always avoid the hungry wolf. (laughs) See, I'm very quick and elusive. You should know, Paul. Okay, I'm aware. For individuals who have been on the basketball court, like John, they can attest to that. Very quick and elusive. The wolf's not going to get me so quickly. All right, with that being said. That is inaccurate, by the way, but that's okay. I'm glad that you're jumping in. You clearly have to clean your lenses. That's the problem, okay? Clean your lenses. Oh, guys. An unbiased perspective. You know, the amazing thing is, is, is when you watch Lance, you just think you're watching everything in slow motion. Oh, okay. I see how it goes. Well, the problem is you haven't been on the court with me in quite some time because of the coronavirus. Nobody has. That's one of the reasons why this virus needs to be eliminated so we can uh, go back to the X's and O's on the hardwood and we can school a few people around the Giants facility. Will you wrap up the damn show already? Let's go. I will try. Well, you know, maybe I should take another moment or two just to irritate John a little bit longer. But that will wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff. One more more point on Cam Newton. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. No. No, we'll save that for another show. Look, if Paul? I didn't have if I didn't have a young starting quarterback who was potentially in my arsenal, I would have signed Cam Newton. But given the Patriots situation, I just would not have done it. Well, anyway. may, well, maybe that tells you what they think of Jared Stidham. Maybe it does. Yeah, you're, you could be right, John. It's also good that you're not a general manager in the NFL, so that's another bright spot. That's up for debate. That's up for debate. That is up for debate. That was my fault. No, you went down that road, John. Goodbye, guys. See, this is what happens. He went down that road. All right. See ya. Paul, take it easy. Appreciate the conversation as always. That's going to wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll be up and running with a new edition tomorrow, noon Eastern. You continue to weigh in on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat, Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions to submit all of your questions to us. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Monday, and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.